Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. Well, good morning, church family. It is good to be back with you. And after being out for a couple weeks, uh, uh, Kevin did a great job. I've gotten to listen to uh, one and a half of his sermons uh, from the last couple weeks, and so I know y'all, uh, in some ways, might not have missed me. You might have been glad I was gone. You got some good, fresh preaching. We are. Uh I was out, many of you know, uh, I skipped my, in the the last several years during the fall, I've traditionally taken a trip and taken somebody different with me each time. I've taken my brothers, I've taken my kids uh, to go to Yellowstone just for a week uh, up in the mountains, and I, I canceled that trip so that I could spend that time focused on trying to write my dissertation. And uh, many of you uh, have been asking about it. And I didn't get as much done as I wanted, but I got more done in the last two weeks than I had in the last two years. So that's a good thing. Uh, if you're curious about it, what I'm writing on is intimate connection between a pastor and the local church. And, uh, you know, far too many pastors act like hirelings or employees. And far too many churches treat their pastors like employees. In the New Testament, I believe it teaches that the pastor is a part of the body. The pastor is a member of the family. In fact, if the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the pastor is just another one of the rocks like you. Uh, we're all on the same level. Jesus is the foundation and the cornerstone. We're, we're in it together. And so that's what I'm working on, and I'm excited about what God is teaching me. I was able to visit uh, a little church out there in Throckmorton, Throckmorton Christian Center, uh, the last couple weeks. And it was, it was neat to be able to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But even then, as kind and, and sweet a fellowship as that was, I was reminded that that's not my church family. We're family. And uh, it, it's just a good reminder as I'm writing that and as I worship. It is good to be back with you. And so today we are going to pick up in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. In fact, we're going to finish out chapter 4. I gave Kevin the two easiest messages from chapter 4. So I'm going to pick up on the, on the more difficult one. I keep kidding him about that. He got to preach on the, the woman at the well and on the harvest is plentiful. Uh, you know, if a preacher can't preach on those, then we need to get rid of him anyway. But he did a great job on those. I'm actually going to overlap. I want to pick up reading in verse 41 because we're going to focus in today on the word believe and the teaching about belief and believing in this text. You're going to see it appear five times in our reading today. And uh, the, the question that I have for you is what does it really take for you to believe? What's it take to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And even as a Christian, are there times when we struggle with our belief and, and we have to be honest and say, you know what, I, I need to see a sign or I need to feel something. We sang this beautiful song, All I Have is Christ. And the real question for us is, when all you have is Christ and his word, is that enough? Is that enough for you? 
So read with me. John chapter 4, starting in verse 41. Like I said, this overlaps a little bit with last week's message. While Jesus was still in Samaria, many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. After two days, he left for Galilee. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, since his son was about to die. And Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said to him, come down before my son dies. And Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. While he was still going down, the servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, fever left him, they answered him. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with the whole household. Now this was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judah to Galilee. So as you walk through this text, you see this, this theme of belief. For the Samaritans, it required one thing for belief. For the Jews who were in Galilee and in Judea, there was a, something else that it seemed to require for them to believe that created some frustration for Jesus. But I want you to remember the thesis of the Gospel of John. Now, you may or may not remember this. When we started the Gospel of John a couple months ago, we looked at John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. That is the theme. That is John's thesis for his Gospel. And I want you to, I want to read it again and listen to that, and we're going to apply that as we walk through this passage. Scripture says from, from John, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. What does it take for you to believe. The cool thing about the Samaritans, and if you remember from Kevin's message a couple weeks ago, as Jesus went through Samaria on the way to Galilee, the scripture says he had to go that way. Well, no, he didn't. The Jews normally would circumvent that, but God, through his providence and through his spirit, led him that way because he had an appointment with this woman at the well. And Jesus goes through Samaria, and, and while he is in Samaria, he's dealing with these people who, because of their race, the Jews hated. They disliked them. And it has to do with not just the, the spiritual background, but it has to do with interracial marriage, that the, the Samaritans by lineage were originally Jews. They were the northern ten tribes. They were the northern kingdom of Israel. And, and when they were uh, taken over by the Assyrian Empire, they intermarried and intermingled. And, and so the Jews saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. The Samaritans believed that they worshiped the same God as the Jews, but they worshiped on a different mountain. And the Jews had a hatred toward them because of their, their 
essentially racism toward the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans, however, were maybe not as religious, but certainly they seemed to be more open. Because what you see happen in verse 41 and 42 is many of these Samaritans believed Jesus because of what he said. They took Jesus at his word. In fact, at first they believed because of the testimony of the woman. Jesus had said some things about her that were very prophetic. And, and they heard her testimony. They heard what she said about Jesus. And so they, they believed that, hey, there's something about this guy. And so they talked Jesus into staying in Samaria, to hanging out with him for two more days. And they listened to his teaching. And because of what he said, listen to what they believed. They told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves, and listen to how far they take this, and know that this really is the Savior of the world. The Samaritans, though they were not originally God's people, because they weren't Jews by full blood, and though they were out cast by those who claim to be the people. And though they were not even the people whom Jesus will say were his first target, whom he came to save. Now certainly Jesus came to save the world, but he'll tell us that he came to the Jews first. They believed, they took Jesus at his word, believing that he was the savior of the world. And many of those Samaritans became eternal followers of Jesus Christ. They gained eternal life because of they believe, their belief. Now, two principles I want you to see here. Kevin kind of covered these last week. There's some of these people that believed because of the testimony of the woman. There are people who will believe in Christ because they see him in your life and they hear your testimony. And so we need to pay attention to that. The second, the majority of them, though, came to full faith when they took Jesus at his word. Jesus' word was enough for them. Now that's key to understanding this text because what happens in the next verse gets a little confusing. In fact, scholars are all over the place with how they interpret verses 43 and 44. Here the scripture says, after two days he left to go to Galilee. Now Galilee is full of Jews and of course Ju Judea around Jerusalem is, is full of Jews. The Samaria is in between and so he's going back home where he was raised, where he grew up in Galilee, where he was born in Judea. Judea is the seat of Judaism, but Galilee is where Jesus was raised. And so when you hear this phrase, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then you read the next phrase, the first few words of verse 45, it calls this question. Because it says, when they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So wait a minute, Jesus, you're from Galilee. You're saying that you're not received in your own country except the Galileans welcome you. Well, there's a little bit of a difference here between what happened in Galilee and what happened in Samaria, though. John provides the caveat, the Galileans welcomed him. Why? Because they had seen the miracles that he did at the festival in Jerusalem. They didn't believe in Jesus because of his word. They didn't believe that he was the savior of the world or take him at his word because of what he said or what he taught. And in fact, when you look back 
at, at the passage earlier on in John chapter 2, verse 23, the scripture told us, if you'll remember, John said, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts. He knew they didn't really believe. They just had a shallow connection. They had a shallow belief because they saw him doing miracles and so they wanted to follow him. And that's what you hear the frustration in Jesus's words in the, in, in the, in the next few lines to come when the nobleman begins to plead on behalf of his son. You see, see there's going to be a lot of people who won't believe. Jesus refused to entrust himself to those Jews who believed that he was something special because he was doing signs, but they really didn't believe that he was the Savior. The Samaritans, who he'd spent some time with for just two days, took him at his word and believed he was who he said he was, that he was the Savior of the world. And because of that, they received new life. And then you have this interaction with this, this nobleman as he comes back into Galilee. See, some of us only want to see Jesus or to believe Jesus for what he can do for us. I'm really afraid that this is one of the, the biggest struggles, the biggest downfalls of the Western church, of, of American Christianity right now, if you want to just put it right here in our culture, but I believe it's in the Western church as well. As long as I can go to church and get something from Jesus, then I feel pretty good about it. As long as, as, as I as I can gain that, that excitement or that, that euphoria or that joy from gathering in a worship service, that's all I want. I don't need any more than that. Or, or as long as I believe that if, if I will believe a certain amount or I'll do a certain thing, then, then God has to give me something. See, there's, Jesus had a huge following of people that followed him just because they thought they could receive something from him. Right after this, Jesus is going to feed 5,000. Not very further as we continue along our study in the Gospel of John. And as he feeds the 5,000, he's got huge crowds. I think it's Luke tells us there's 5,000 men plus women and children that were gathered. And Jesus fed them. And so he continued to have large crowds following because he gave them something to eat. Because he put on a show. They weren't believing because of what he said. They weren't taking him at his word. They were believing because they'd seen signs. And so when this nobleman comes to him, this official who, who the scripture describes here as a royal official, when he comes to Jesus with a desperate need, one of Jesus' frustrations that he, he expresses here is unless you people see a sign and wonders, you do not believe. When he says you people, he's not just talking to the nobleman. He, the, the, the translation here is a good translation because it's, it's a plural you in the Greek. So some of your translations may, may read where he says, unless you see a sign or wonders. He's not just talking to the nobleman. He's talking to all those who are gathered around who would listen. Unless you see signs and wonders, you don't even believe. And so the, the official comes to Jesus with this desperate need. His son is dying. And he's hurting. And regardless of whatever else is going on, one of the things that you see in this text is when, when we are really hurting, even when we reach out to Jesus in shallow faith, 
when we are hurting, God extends mercy toward us. He cares about us. And so Jesus says, you know, unless you people see a sign and wonders, you don't believe. But the nobleman won't give up. So in verse 48, verse 49, I'm sorry, the nobleman looks Jesus in the eye and he says, Sir, come down before my son dies. He made a desperate plea to Jesus on behalf of his son. And Jesus heard his plea. When we honestly and earnestly come before God and make that desperate plea, God hears our plea. We don't always get what we want. You know, I've experienced times in my life where God has allowed me to not experience that feeling of his presence, that feeling of euphoria. I've gone through extended periods when Dr. Rainey, my old Greek professor from Howard Payne, would say that he'd call it the long, dark night of the soul, where it just seemed like I was in the desert. I, I, I believed God was there. I knew what God's word said was true, but I just didn't feel his presence. And I believe God allows us to go through those times so that we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. Because we need to learn to trust him and take him at his word. But when I, I can think back at some of the most desperate, desperate times of my life. I remember when Katie passed away and I just needed to know that God was there. And I cried out and said, Lord, I need to feel your presence. And he was there. When we cry out to God in those desperate times, he extends his mercy to us and lets us know his presence. And that's what he did for the old woman's son. But don't you want to see something else that's really cool that took place here? Verse 50, Jesus says, go and your son will live. My translation, the Christian Standard Bible translates the next phrase, the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. The word that John uses there when it says the man believed is logos. Some of your translations may translate this, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke, okay? In the CSB, there's a note there, and it'll tell you that, 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 that what they translated, what Jesus said to him, is logos. Well, why does that matter? Well, it, it may not matter all that much, because John could have written that the man believed the words, the rhema, and put that in plural, the words that Jesus spoke to him, and that would have meant that he, he believed the, the, the spoken word, the individual words. But when he says the man believed the word, the logos that Jesus spoke, the word logos, it's a bigger word. It means the idea. It, 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 it means the truth, but it also points to Jesus himself. John, I don't believe it's an accident that we find this here in the Gospel of John. In John 1.1, you'll remember, John began this Gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. 
There's something about Jesus in that moment. Jesus, there in the presence of this nobleman, when Jesus said, your son will live, that the man believed the Lagos. He believed Jesus. Whether he believed the truth that Jesus spoke or he at that moment at some level put his faith in the Logos, the Word of God himself, he believed Jesus. He took him at his word. And because of that, he saw a miracle unfold. Jesus said, your son will live. This man took him at his word and his son lived. But it gets even better than that. The scripture tells us that as he continues home, and and you have to wonder, because what happens, the man did exactly what Jesus told him to do. Jesus said, go and your son will live. The man believed the word of God, took Jesus at his word. He had not seen a sign yet. Do you get that? He had not seen a miracle yet. He had not seen anything special happen yet. And he starts walking home back to Capernaum. 24 hours later, more than 24 hours later, one of his servants meets him on the road and said, your son is healed. Your son's alive. And the nobleman pauses and he says, when did he get better? The servant says, one o'clock yesterday, his fever left him. And immediately, the, 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 the royal officer knew that that was the moment that Jesus said your son will live it was only then that he received the confirmation of a miracle of a sign 24 hours later he had made a choice to take Jesus at his word to believe the word of God to believe Jesus and to move forward with his life and to do what it was he was told to do and then when he sees that confirmation his belief goes to a whole new level He sees the miracle. He sees the the encouragement. But I want you to understand this. He first took Jesus at his word. And that's the question that I want us to examine our hearts with. Are we willing to take Jesus at his word? Because I believe far too many times we fail to see the miracle because we refuse to take Jesus at his word in the first place. We refuse to trust him when he says it in his word. We refuse to trust him when he whispers it in our heart. And because we refuse to trust him, we don't get to see the outcome. We don't get to see the miracles of God flesh themselves out in our lives. And I don't believe in coincidences. I've had, you know, the first time that you see something like this happens, you may go, well, that's kind of coincidental. The 150th time that you see something like this happen, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I believe there's a God who's at work to accomplish his purposes. I told one story this morning to illustrate this. I'm going to tell you a different one, and I could tell a hundred of them. I remember a day when we were in staff meeting, and, and it was back when Eric was here, and, and Eric and, and uh, Zach and I were sitting in staff meeting. I don't remember who the fourth was with us, but we were, we were finishing up staff meeting, and, and I remember just looking at them saying, I believe that God has put on my heart that we need to pray for Elaine today. Let's have Elaine come in the office and those of you who don't know, Elaine was our, our secretary for a long time here at First Baptist Church of Watauga. So we brought her in my office. We, we, asked, we said, Elaine, we feel led to pray for you. And we put her in a chair and we circled around her and laid hands on her and prayed over Elaine. When we finished praying, Elaine looked up with tears in her eyes and she said, how did y'all know? I said, Elaine, how did we know what? And she said, how did you know that I was going to resign today? 
because I was so discouraged. I said, we didn't. The Spirit of God told us to pray for you. So I don't believe that that's an accident. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that when we trust God, when we listen to God, when we read God's Word, and we walk in a relationship with Him, we will see God do things that can't be explained in human terms. And I've seen it over and over and over as pastor at First Baptist May, as pastor at First Baptist Watauga, and personally in my own life. I've seen God do things that you cannot explain in human terms. But in almost every one of those cases, I want you to hear this. I had to make a decision to trust God first before I ever saw him flesh it out. We had to take him at his word. We have to follow the leadership and the direction of his Holy Spirit first. And when we take him at his word, then we get to see him accomplish incredible things. How many times do we miss the beauty of, of the miracles of God and the work of God in our lives because we refuse to take him at his word? The Samaritans took him at his word, and many of them were saved. The Jews were always looking for a sign and never got one. This man took Jesus at his word, then saw the sign, and then his household was saved. Because I want you to notice, the, the greatest miracle that took place in this passage was not the miracle that took place that we read about in verse 52 where the servant comes and says, your boy's alive and the fever has left him. The greatest miracle that took place in this passage was what took place at the end of verse 53. Because here, I want you to hear this truth. That boy who came back from almost dead, that, that boy who Jesus healed, later on died. You know how I know that? Because there ain't no 2,000-year-old people walking around. That boy later died. That royal official, he died. That royal official's wife, he died. That royal official servant, he died. Eventually, they all took their last breath on this earth and had to stand before God in heaven. But the miracle of this passage that is, is most incredible is that entire household was saved. They came to faith in a Savior who eventually would die for them and shed his blood that they could have eternal life. That entire household, he himself believed, you see it there at the end of verse 54, along with his whole household. The miracle, the beauty of this passage is not just that the, that the son was healed, but that he was healed for eternity along with his father and his mother and his brothers and sisters and, and his entire household. Salvation came to that home because the head of the household, the father, the Roman official, believed the word Christ. He took him at his word before he ever saw the miracle. Will you trust God with just his word? What does it take for you and I to believe? Do we have to have the signs? Are we willing to take God at his word and step out on faith and do what it is that God's called us to? Because it's only when we trust God and take him at his word that we'll see the true miracles of eternal life come to fruition 
in our lives, in our homes, in our families, and with those around us. See, the woman at the well took Jesus at his word finally. It took her a little bit. But then she went and she told others. And they came and they listened to Jesus and they took Jesus at his word. You know the sad thing, the people in this story, and we'll see this time and again in, in the Gospel of John, the people who refused to take Jesus at his word, who always wanted more, were the Jews. Those who were supposedly the people of God. They were always wanting a sign. And some of them, even when they got the sign, even when they saw Lazarus resurrected from the dead, decided, now we got to get rid of him. we got to kill him. Those who would take Jesus at his word and put their trust in him are the ones that received eternal, everlasting life. That is our hope, my brothers and sisters, friends. If we will take Christ at his word, believe as the Samaritans that he really is the savior of the world. We will come to salvation, we'll see our households come to salvation, and we'll see that message infect our community like it did the Samaritans. But we've got to come to, to a decision that we're going to believe God's word. See, far too often we want to put our belief in what we see or what we feel. If we don't feel it, then we don't believe it. But if we're walking by feelings or we're walking by sight, then we are failing to put our faith in the Word of God and trust His Word. The royal official, the man believed the Logos that Jesus spoke. When we believe the Word, we'll find eternal life. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you were encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.